Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. What's up, family? How's it going? Good morning. Good to see y'all. My name is Marcus, and I am one of the pastors here at City Church. If I haven't met you yet... I would love to meet you sometime after the gathering. Um, so we are going through the book of First Peter, uh, and we're early on uh, in the book of First Peter. And last week, Kent actually touched on verses 1 and 2, and yes, he did do an entire sermon on just two verses. We don't have the luxury of that, um, but he really did say some really good stuff, and he unpacked the word exile for us, which uh, uh, we will be using throughout this entire series. And Basically, what the word exile means is that it is a person who lives in a certain place but doesn't truly fit in or feel at home in that place. And to kind of summarize a bit, he said that that you and I are exiles in this world because of how uh, or because of why we follow Jesus. And if you haven't listened to it, I would want to encourage you to listen to it um, because I believe it sets us up beautifully for today. Now, for today, we'll be looking at how everything else in 1 Peter, how successful or unsuccessful, how faithful or unfaithful we are as exiles in this world, will sort of hinge on what we are putting our hope in. So Peter is going to make the case for why it should be in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray before we start. Lord, thank you so much for um, this time Thank you so much for bringing the people that you brought here. Lord, for the hearts in the room, uh, I pray that you would soften them uh, to whatever you would have to say through me. And Lord, I pray that you would give me the words um, to speak truth and to speak it boldly uh, for, your, for your glory, Lord. And I also pray for my heart, Lord, um, because I am not immune to your truth. So I pray for my heart that it would also be softened. Uh, thank you, Lord, for your love for us. In your name I pray. Amen. So let's kick it off with verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Somebody say the word hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter starts out by saying, hey, how blessed are we to be born again to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Like, how blessed are we? And, and for these early Christians that Peter is writing to, they are in need of this reminder. They, they are in need of this hope because they've been going through a lot. They've been going through a ton of hardship and not your everyday run-of-the-mill hardship. These guys have been persecuted because they followed after Jesus. And who better than to write to them than the guy who's been in the game for a while, right? For Peter, he, he's been following Jesus for 30 years or so. So he's, he's seen it all. He's been through it all. He's, he's sort of like one of the OGs of Christianity in this day. He has been beaten. He has been mocked. He has been locked up. He's been ridiculed. He's seen his friends 
killed, his friends murdered. Eventually, he will also be murdered because he follows after Jesus. So he gets exactly what these guys are going through. And what Peter is going to try to remind his brothers and sisters is is how to hope in the midst of these trying times. Now, when I use the word hope, uh, when the word hope comes up, I think a lot of times, especially as Americans, it's very easy to think of hope as some sort of vague, positive feeling, right? So like, uh, I hope it stops raining, right? I hope it stops raining so I can send my kids to school for an entire week, right? Any parents in the room? Anybody? I'm sure if you are a student, you're probably like, man, I hope it continues to rain so I don't have to go to school. Um, any Survivor fans in the room? Anyone? A few of you? You can yell. It's okay. Any Survivor fans in the room? Love it. All right. A few of you. Um, so maybe, hey, I hope that Boston Rob doesn't win again. Like, he can't, right? Like, he can't. They, they should know that he's going to do what he does. For those who love Tennessee... I know we have some Tennessee Vols in this room right now. I hope, I pray, I wish that the Tennessee Vols would win a national championship. It feels like 98, am I right? Can't tell me to say that last one. Um, so usually when we use the word hope, we're actually uh, meaning that we wish, right? That I wish that this would happen. But in the Bible, hope is not that at all. In the Bible, we might describe hope as something like uh, an eager expectation for what's to come. So it's not wishful thinking. It is more of a certainty that is on the horizon. So when Peter says that we should hope in something, he is saying that, hey, we should expect it. We should um, anticipate it. We should bank on this. And then When you put it in those terms, when you say it like that, then we all instinctively hope for something, right? For all of us, we we might put our hope in the next raise. We might put our hope in uh, uh, that promotion that we've been longing for. Maybe for some of us, we, we put our hope in finding that perfect job. Maybe it's financial security for many of us. Uh, For my older brothers and sisters in the room, that might mean retirement, For others, it might be a romantic relationship. It can be a number of different things. We we may not know exactly how or when these things will happen, but we all expect that they will happen at some point. Whatever that looks like, we all hope in something. And one of the best ways, uh, uh, one of the best ways to find out what your hope is, is to look and see what happens in here. To look and see what happens in your soul when those things don't actually come Uh, to fruition the way you thought it would, or on the timeline that you thought it would. Proverbs would say it like this, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And some of the most devastating and heartbreaking moments in our lives is that the thing or things we were hoping for didn't come to fruition at all. The, The thing that we were putting all of our hope in somehow didn't live up to the hype, or at least not in the way that we thought it would. I'll give you an example. Uh, You see this when uh, a young woman has spent her entire childhood, her, her entire adolescence, dreaming about the day that when she would marry the perfect man. And then college comes and goes. 
young adulthood comes and goes, and that perfect man doesn't come along. Or, or maybe, just maybe, she actually does marry someone, right? But eventually they come to find out that person wasn't who she thought he was. That person wasn't Prince Charming as Disney told them that they would be. And eventually the marriage starts to crumble. Sadness sets in. Defeat sets in. There's a deep frustration that, that she is feeling. That, that feeling is hope deferred. I'll give you another one. You see this when someone puts their hope in the perfect job. A job that will fulfill them, that allows them to do the thing that they're most passionate about. And pays them the perfect amount of money, right? If there ever is such a thing. And then, eventually, they don't ever find that job. So you know what they do? They, they switch jobs constantly. And job after job after job, it turns out that it doesn't fulfill them. And, and to be honest, some of those jobs probably were pretty good, but none of them brought the ultimate fulfillment that they were searching for. That is the feeling of deferred hope. So we all inherently hope as human beings. We, we really don't know how not to. The only question is, is what are we hoping in? What are we hoping in? And will that thing come through for us or not? Timothy Keller would say it this way. He says, every human being must live for something. Something must capture our imaginations, our heart's most fundamental allegiance and hope. But the Bible tells us without intervention, from, or without intervention of the Holy Spirit, that object will never be God himself. In case you, uh, in case you didn't catch that, he's saying that without God, you and I, we will hope in everything but God himself. You and I will uh, uh, hope more in searching for a perfect job than searching the scriptures for God. You and I will, will search for nothing uh, uh, short of the perfect romance, right? We will focus everything on the next romance rather than a relationship with God. You and I will hope in all the things more than God. Now, don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that, and this is not what Peter is saying, is, is that, that this living hope that we should look uh, uh, that we should be all a little bit more religious or just start daydreaming about the afterlife. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that he is wanting us to shift our hope from whatever it currently is in to something that is far, far more lasting and beautiful, something worthy to kind of carry the weight of our hope. And for Peter, hope is a strong confidence of God's future. Hope is a strong confidence of God's future. P- Peter is saying that this living hope is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That, that is where hope is. And, and I sort of want to camp here for a little bit, if y'all will allow me to. Um, what, what is hopeful about Jesus' resurrection? Everything, right? Everything. For starters, him, him being resurrected means that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus was 
who he said he was. He was not first a prophet like many would say he was. He's not first a good teacher like a lot of people say. Sure, he was both of those things, but he was first God in the flesh. It also means that what he came to do mattered for you and I. And specifically, the Bible is going to make the point in places like 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that the resurrection mattered because we will be raised as well. That, that his resurrection guarantees our future resurrection and truly the resurrection of the entire world. Revelation 21 describes that day like this. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's some Old Testament language right there. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. Write this down, fam. For these words, they are trustworthy and true. Now, during this time, I want to actually do something a little unconventional, uh, something that we probably haven't done at a gathering, and I've been at most of them, so I would know probably. Um, I want us all to close our eyes right now. I want everyone in the room to close our eyes I promise I'm not doing anything funny. Uh, I want us all to close our eyes, and I want us to imagine a world where God will wipe away every tear. I want us to imagine a world where death will be no more. There will be no more mourning because of mass shootings. Do you feel that? That there will be no more crying because of a miscarriage. There will be no more, no more pain because our family member or one of our friends says that they have cancer. I want us to pause and imagine Imagine ourselves in this world where God wipes away every tear. And then God says, he says gently and caringly, son, daughter, Melanie, Tyler, Harry, Clay, any, everything sad, all the 
sadness that you're feeling, all of the suffering that you have been through. I have taken that and I have made it untrue. I'm making all things new. You guys can open your eyes. Do you feel that? Do you feel that? Do you believe that this world is coming? Here's here's why I care to ask that. Because to the degree that we believe that this is on the horizon... To the degree that we believe that this is on the horizon is the degree that we can live as exiles in this imperfect world. Let me say that again. To the degree that we believe that the resurrection is near, that a perfect world is coming, is the degree that we can live as exiles in the here and now. And on the flip side, to the degree that we can't, the harder it will be to live as exiles in this world. And here's why that matters. If you you don't truly believe that we are headed in this direction, then you and I will need this world to be perfect now. You will need this imperfect world to become perfect. You will need utopia here and now. See, if, if you don't believe that a perfect world is coming then you're going to need that perfect job and that perfect salary now. If if you don't believe a perfect world is coming, then you're going to need the perfect setup for retirement. If you don't believe that, that a perfect world is coming, then you're going to need somebody on your arm always. You're going to need that romantic relationship to fill this hole that you've been trying to fill. You will need the perfect set of friends to create this perfect world. Parents in the room, you're going to need your kids and their achievements to be perfect for you. But here's the thing. Spoiler alert. None of these things are going to be able to create that perfect world for you. Because when they fail, and they will fail you, um, you're going to either grow bitter or disenfranchised at whatever you were putting all of your hope in because it didn't deliver what you thought it would. Or, or you're going to spend the rest of your life chasing after the next romance, chasing after the next friendship, chasing after the next job, the next, the next, the next hoping that maybe, just maybe, it's going to deliver what all the others couldn't. Tell me you haven't seen this. Tell me, tell me you haven't seen this in people over and over again. I mean, tell me you haven't seen this in yourself. Five, ten, twenty-five years. I know I do. But if we know what is coming... If, if you and I have a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, then those realities, when they don't come to fruition, they won't crush you. If you don't get the perfect job, it won't crush you. If you don't get that promotion or that salary, someone in the room needs to hear that right now. If you don't get that promotion or salary, it won't 
crush you. If you don't have someone on your arm, if you don't have that, uh, uh, that romantic relationship, if you break up with someone that you thought you would spend the rest of your life with, it won't crush you. Because you know that this world is not perfect. And you know that there's a perfect world coming. See, with, with the resurrection, we can be freed up to not have to put our hope fully in this imperfect world. And you know what happens next? The world starts to become a little more bearable. Not easy. Hear me say that. Not easy by any stretch. But it becomes bearable. And that's why we hope. Because we become more aware that the world is not as it should be. And we begin to look to the future for our hope. Let's pick it up at verse 4. It says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. As followers of Jesus during this time, uh, many were displaced from their homeland, and, and what that meant was that they would have lost their inheritance, so, uh, which in that day would have probably been some sort of land or some sort of uh, property. So when Peter drops this, he's saying, hey, I understand that you lost everything. Like, I totally understand that, that you lost all this land or you lost this property, but let me tell you about this new inheritance that you have. You, you lost your inheritance, but this new inheritance won't be taken away from you. This, this new inheritance won't spoil. This new inheritance will not ever fade away. And on top of all of that, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation. Someone say the word salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last Time. Amen? Now, when he says salvation, don't think becoming a Christian, okay? Some, sometimes that's what the Bible means, um, but in this particular case, that's not what it means. He, he's saying that one day on the horizon, we will all ultimately be saved from the sin and brokenness of the world once and for all. That, that because of all of that, God will make all things new. And our inheritance points to that day. Let's keep reading. Verse 6 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by uh, by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter uh, pulls us all directly into the present situation as exiles. He, He says, everything I just told you, the hope that is ours, the inheritance that is ours, this salvation that is ours, and all of that you can rejoice. 
even if right now life is, is far from what you thought it would be. Even if you're going through all of this stuff, you can rejoice. Even though you are suffering currently, I need you to remember what is coming. I need you to remember that the perfect world is coming. And let me say this. Um, I know that suffering is an emotionally charged, complex subject uh, when it comes to God's involvement in it. And, and we've done entire sermons on this, so I won't touch on too much. But I do want to say this. I, I know when it comes to suffering, some people think that uh, God causes it. Others think that maybe God allows it. And some others actually think that, oh, God has nothing to do with it, for better or for worse. And we could go back and forth, and maybe like five of you guys would be interested, but the rest of you would not, so I'm not going to go too far into that. But here is what is abundantly clear from the scriptures. Here is what we know beyond a shadow of a doubt. God can use suffering. He can use it in the lives of followers of Jesus to help melt away the hope that, that we've put in things that are not worthy of it. And to help us place our hope fully in the one person who is worthy of it. And that person is Jesus. That's, that's what this whole uh, metaphor with gold being refined by fire is trying to communicate to us. So, so your suffering, it, it might be difficult your suffering might be heartbreaking. It might be crushing in any number of things. But if you are in Jesus, hear me say this. If you are in Jesus, your suffering is not purposeful, purposelessness. One thing it is not is useless or pointless. Because God can and does use it for your good and his glory. And I know a lot of us, for a variety of different reasons, uh, feel like life is far from what we expected it to be, right? Many in the room probably didn't plan how their lives would look right now. I know I didn't. And so to us, I think Peter would say two things for us. I need you to hear me say this. Don't miss what God might be doing in the midst of it all. Don't miss this. Don't miss what God might be doing in the midst of your suffering, through your trials, through everything. Don't miss it. And number two, there's an end coming that we can look forward to. There is a perfect world that we can look forward to. This world does not have to be perfect for us because Jesus guarantees a perfect world in the future. Verse 10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. That's a fun word, subsequent. Um, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So 
Even the angels are peeking in, fam. Even the angels are peeking in. They, they are wanting to see what's, what's happening, right? They are wanting to see what's, what's happening down here, how the good news of the gospel is impacting each and every one of us. They are drawn to this incredible relationship that is in place with us and the Lord. And Peter is also saying that, that this salvation that the early Christians have enjoyed are, are putting their full hope in is the very salvation that the prophets sought after. Peter wants them and us to fully appreciate the relationship uh, uh, that we get to enjoy with the Lord, something that prophets and angels stand in awe of. And this isn't really the focus, but I do want to ask this question. Do you uh, think of your relationship with God like that? Do you see how incredible that relationship is that angels are trying to look in to see? We should all be in awe of this relationship that we have with God. Ever since Adam and Eve first sinned, God has been making a way for us to be in his midst again, and and that way is through Jesus. He's made all of this possible through his life, death, and resurrection. Amen? As we close, Ben, uh, you guys can come on up. If you're following along with us in our Bible reading plan for this year, God has been doing wonder after wonder to save the Israelites out of oppression, also that they would know that he was their hope. And over and over again, after he has shown himself, shown his character, shown his love, shown who he was, somehow, some way, they still find ways to find their hope in everything but him. I think like the Israelites, our gaze can often drift uh, away from Christ from time to time. So the question is, and I asked this earlier, and I'll ask it again, what are you hoping in? Where is your hope? Do you know? It's okay if you don't. Is it in a romantic relationship? Are you wanting to find your hope in that? Are you wanting to find your hope in a friendship? Is it for a better job? Is it in wanting a promotion? Wanting retirement? Is your hope fully in wanting a family? Or is it fully in Christ? During the next few songs, uh, I want us to really tackle this question. I want us to uh, ask the Holy Spirit to work. I want us to take time and pray through this. Maybe uh, uh, if you are in a life group, maybe you should talk to your life group leader. If, if, if not, maybe you should talk to a pastor. Maybe you should talk to your friend that's right beside you to kind of walk through this. Whatever that looks like, I want us to take time to be able to uh, truly think through this. What is our hope in? Because like I said earlier, this, in many ways, is a stopgap. 
if you don't figure out what your hope is in now, the rest of 1 Peter won't make any sense. So if the Spirit is knocking on the door, let him in. Let him in. Don't, don't, don't close the door. Don't do that. Don't, don't wait till Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday because we all know eventually we'll forget. The communion tables are open uh, in the back on the sides. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are invited to participate as a reminder of the gospel that Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, has reconciled us not only to God himself but to one another. Also during this time, offering baskets are going to be passed around. And if you consider this to be your church family, then you know that this is just another way that we worship. Let's stand as we worship.